Prophets and Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Leadership. Well, we watch the pastor in action and people in ministry. It's not so easy, though, is it? We're going to find out from the author of The Self-Aware Leader, Discovering Your Blind Spots to Reach Your Ministry Potential, Dr. Terry Linhart joins us. And welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a treat and an honor. Thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, you're the real deal here, an author, educator, speaker, and 15 years in full-time ministry. Now you serve as professor of Christian ministries at Bethel College, and you're also the editor of the book, Teaching the Next Generation, and author of the best-selling youth ministry curriculum, uh, Talk Sheets Life of Christ. Yeah, well, the talk sheets is a is a format that youth specialties used to have for a long time, and they came to me and said, we really want uh, a couple of curriculum sets, one for middle school, one for high school, that uh, is based on the harmony of the Gospels of Jesus' life. And so I had a just a real a great treat of uh, working through uh, Scripture again and pulling out uh, some curriculum that has helped many youth groups be able to teach at church camps, uh, it's volunteer friendly and it's very easy to use and I'm pleased with how well that people have liked those two uh, curriculum sets. Well, I'll tell you what, everyone seems to think that ministry is easy, if you will, you know, and there's some wounded warriors out there, anywhere from a pastor to, you know, worship leader. We get uh, beat up out there. And so The Self-Aware Leader is a wonderful book. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of uh, responses from people who maybe did have some blind spots. And uh, what are the comments that a lot of people make? Well, they like the practicality of it. And so sometimes you read a book like Self-Aware and you think, oh, this is just going to make me feel bad about myself. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I didn't (laughs) want that. But I also didn't want the kind of book that you read 80,000 words and at the end of it you think, well, I don't lead a large church. I'm not in full-time ministry. Uh, You know, this really isn't for me. And you kind of leave it. I wanted a book that was a tool that everyday leaders, volunteers, Sunday school teachers, even I have a group of Christian nurses that are working through it. And it's just very practical. Just, hey, we're all working on this. We all want to be as faithful as we can to what God's called us to do. Let's be uh, as excellent at that as possible. And that means we need to, to work on some things. And so the book just raises some questions very gently, and I talk about my own uh, you know, things I've worked on and continue to work on. And uh, so it's a very safe uh, book, but one that uh, is short and quick and yet uh, pretty thorough, I think. You've heard when people say, we all have baggage, and yes, so do people in ministry. So <laughs> the uh, counselor, one of the uh, the people who taught a counseling class or one of the classes in seminary said that people skills is the one skill that hinders so many people who want to be a pastor and in ministry. And I bet they're in for a little bit of a shock, you know, because they got the theology right, you know, everything down pat. But then it gets a little messy when you're dealing with people. And so uh, let's just get right into that area of blind spots. What's a blind spot? Well, I think a blind spot is an area that we can't see. So I talk about the Jahari window and uh, what that is is a process that's been well used in, in Christian ministry circles where you uh, go through an exercise where you write down adjectives to describe yourself and other people around you do the same. They write down adjectives to uh, describe you. And then a blind spot is an area that uh, we don't recognize but others do. And so it comes from my driver's ed training with my kids. So I would take them to a local school and sit in the park, have them park in the parking lot. And then I would get out of the car and stand in the blind spot of the car behind them where they couldn't see me in the mirror, they couldn't see me and looking around, but they could hear my voice. 
And so that was the analogy. I said, just in the same way that we're driving and we have to clear our blind spot by looking over our shoulder, we need to occasionally take an intentional glance behind us to see, are we hurting people's feelings and don't know it? Are we unaware that there may be some smoke coming out from behind us, whatever that may be, yeah. that we're, we're not conscious from of? From the ears. And, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, from the ears. But, you know, you hear about that all the time, uh, Terry, you know, when it comes to people in ministry, that it doesn't always have a happy ending, where people don't understand that it's the other person has to be their fault, and sometimes people have uh, hard knocks, and you always hear about it, too, with pastors, that it seems like that was their undoing, you know, the, the Bible says pride, you know, cometh before yeah. a fall. And so uh, has this book ever, like, reformed people, if you will, where they were headed down that direction and it kind of changed them? I It's it's so new that I don't have those kind of... of uh, just say yes, Terry. Just say yes. Yeah. Oh, I can't say Thank you, Michael. Yeah. I'll just call it. Hey, I did have... I've had two people who have mentioned to me even in the last two days that they've read it twice now. They're both leadership coaches, and they just... Uh, think that it'll be something that they pick up every year to work through just to see how they're doing, kind of as a checkup. And it's written in that way where you can go through it and just go through and go, okay, how am I doing? Is there something I need to pay attention to? And um, uh, so I, I think the initial response is people said, hey, this is going to be helpful for me and even for a team of people because it does set up well for a group discussion. One of the things people don't do is they ask for feedback. It seems like that's kind of a weakness. If you ask, how am I doing, and that type of thing. You look at companies today, they all have surveys, and they want you to take the survey, you know, the minute you get off the phone and you kind of half promise them you will. But um, that's important because unless you get feedback from people, you'll not know your blind spots, and uh, that can get kind of difficult. So I think a transparent environment is probably the answer to that, huh? It is, and the, you know, two things work against that. One is as we age, we get more confident that we're doing things right, we're self-sufficient. Leadership in particular creates a distance where you, over time, distance yourself from those who might be critical of you. And I think that that works in our detriment, where we need to find people. I, I have a, a friend I meet with pretty regularly every few months, and we're, we just scheduled, yesterday we just scheduled getting together in two weeks. And so between now and then, I'm working on some questions. I'm sure he's going to bring some, and we're just going to kind of have an honest conversation. Uh, everybody, even coaches of leaders, needs to be coached and, and have mentors and need to be open to that. Uh, and I think that's a, imperative if we want to do our best. I agree. And let's get down to it now. Let's talk about unspoken people problems. Here we go. All right. Maybe number one, where's the drum roll? I am the boss. How do we address that when someone thinks, hey, I'm in leadership, I'm the boss, you listen to me, and everything will get around, uh, you know, hunky-dory. Well, how do you answer that one? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's certainly a tricky one to work through. Um, the I'm the boss one is just what I said earlier, that we have a sense of entitlement uh, given to us where we are uh, – I mean, we are leaders, right? We are able to uh, take command and, and be in charge. But the the thing we have to always remember as Christian leaders is that the shepherd is the image, not the boss. Mm -hmm. And so when we're following Jesus, the shepherd is very different from the Pharisee, right? I mean, the shepherd has a, has a embrace when needed. It pursues the one that's lost when needed. The shepherd uh, nurtures, uh, just doesn't command. Uh because, especially with animals, when you nurture, there's a better draw. There's a warmer 
connection there. So that's where we have to work around that is to, again, align ourselves with how Jesus led. Yeah, and a lot of people in corporate situations or any kind of business, usually they find the smartest person in the room and they say, okay, that person will make the best leader. Not necessarily true according to your book. And that's a mistake people made. They say, hey, I'm the smartest person in the room. You listen to me. And so what do you say to them? Yeah, so I think that that's a, uh, an assessment that's not very accurate. Um, so when someone says that, they have not done their due diligence to discern who else is in the room. And I think we're saying that when we say, I'm the most confident personality type. And studies on introverts in the church have helped us understand that introversion actually doesn't mean that unintelligent. And there can be people who have great things to offer, but they're not a high-driving personality. And generally, it's in those situations where someone is so confident in themselves too much, where they're saying, hey, I'm the smartest person in the room. And uh, again, it's a very dangerous situation. And the backstory to that little quote is that I wasn't going to keep it in the book because I said, do people really say this? And one of my reviewers said, who's in a Christian ministry, said, I've heard it three or four times. Yeah. So uh, it's a real deal. It sure is. You just have to look at the disciples and Jesus, right? They say, who's going to be the greatest? And they figured, hey, you know, we're with the smartest person. And um, But he turned it around just as you said and say, you know, you have to be minister of them all. And so I think I think there's a lot more humility that goes on, isn't there, for people who are really good leaders? Yeah. Well, and, uh, and to be honest, uh, and this was my issue, and this is the issue with most students who leave the college where I teach uh, here in South Bend, is that uh, you have to really understand that pride is the number one thing that's going to hold us back. And so when you say things like that, you know, the disciples, you're right, James and John struggle. Who's going to be the greatest? Uh, um, we... Uh, I mean, it's a shadow of having strong leadership gifts. You know, is you still feel confident? And we live in a world where we have to market, and even in ministry, we try to, uh, you know, put our best foot forward. And so we just have to be careful that we also are serving and uh, acting in ways, again, that Jesus did. I think, you know, you're going to hear that theme all, all the time with me, is that he's our model. Uh, and in this case, uh, again, rightly so, because he was a servant. Absolutely. So what are the failures of some of the people who take the wrong approach to being a leader? So um, I think the f- some of the failures are that um, they don't identify their temptations. And one of the chapters I talk about, I use the analogy of the big five in Kruger. You know, that the, in the Kruger, you have to, it's a national park in South Africa, and you drive through, it's a safari, and you drive in your car and you're looking for the big five, and you have to stay in your car because the lion and the tigers and all the animals, will, you know, cheetahs and others will, will would 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 devour you. And and I think there's some temptations for a lot of us that we in leadership don't rec- recognize all the time. So you just mentioned, you know, being prominent. I think that's one. Uh, being in control, uh, uh, pursuing dishonest intimacy, uh, resentment, uh, shiny stuff, uh, va- uh, valuing shiny stuff. So like materialism, and and so as leaders we have to recognize, okay, I- I'm going down this path, and what is it that turns my head to the right or the left? What is it that that I can become fascinated with that may pull me into the brush and, and devour me. And and if you think of all the leaders that we've seen who have 
fallen in one way or another. The story doesn't begin at the fall. It's two or three years prior. Mm. It's it's a it begins small, right? It's just a, a a note, an email, a flirtation. It might be a financial temptation. It could be a a, a poor poorly run relationship to be better, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger to the point where it it topples them. You wonder. Sometimes you wonder. You see these terrible downfall, moral failing, and things like that from big-time ministers. And I was even going to ask you about that, that I'm not so sure that uh, these megachurches are the best thing for some of these pastors, because then they're not really dealing with the people face-to-face. They may be writing great books and things like that in the limelight and and television, but uh, can that be a detriment, not really working with people, being too much protected behind the scenes? Oh, it can, no matter the size of the church. I'm at a mega church where the pastor works the pews every Sunday morning. Uh, amazing. And I'm, I've seen a small church of 150 where you could hardly get a time scheduled with the pastor because he was so distant from the congregation. And, uh, and they were, you know, uh, it's the ministry. I, I think that what, I think, Michael, what you hit on there is a philosophy of ministry that we're to be incarnational. And this is a value of mine having grown up in Youth for Christ is that we live among the people that we want to serve. And so we should do that. And so it's, um, yeah, certainly any church where the pastor has founded it and uh, they're the leader and, and everybody loves them. And so their success is based on that allegiance can fall into. Uh, you know, some, it's a little different when you have to, you're moving from church to church over your ministry and you have a new board and a new, you know, DNA and a new culture. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So I, I tell people when you move a church or you're going to a new church, uh, live as close as you can to the church and be immersed in the community because that's how you do ministry. Yes. Amen. It makes sense. And Dr. Linhart, I guess probably something that is uh, very important is, and was it in Timothy when it talks about, Emotional maturity. You you mentioned a lot about that, that boards, committees, supervisors, they have problems knowing how to work with maturity problems that surface in young leaders. And you say, please understand that ministries committed to developing Christ-like maturity in their people can't tolerate poor decision patterns in their leaders. So what does it take to be emotionally mature? And do they get out there too soon at a seminary? Um, I... The, 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 there's research out there uh, about the first two years of ministry that shows it's very lonely and very difficult. And so it, your question made me smile a little bit because what's <laughs> happened as a result of this book is I'm realizing the importance of supervision. And I'm doing a, I've developed a seminar that I, I'm leading at a conference this fall, and, and I've already done one seminar elsewhere on how to supervise like a boss without being a boss in ministry because – it's so important to learn how to supervise well. Too often we hire someone and we just run them out. It's like they're running in front of the cannons and we hope they don't get hit. And um, and it, so, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, the, in seminary, do we have a course on how to supervise staff? It's not common. I mean, some seminaries, yes, but others probably not. And so uh, helping people work through what they're experiencing to label what they feel to know what to do with that is very important in the early years of ministry. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool, too. In your book, you say you started out in the music field supervising a group of roadies that set up Christian concerts <laughs> and auditoriums. That's kind of neat. Tell yeah, us about that. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, thanks. Well, I did get started in Christian music, and now at Bethel we've started a new worship arts program that has its own record label, and I'm back uh, doing stuff with buddies in Nashville. But, 
Yeah, it was it's fun, and you know, it was there that I was confronted back when Frankie Schaefer was writing about this too. That, um, and I don't mean this as a blanket criticism; it's not meant that at all. But um, we too often settle for mediocrity in a lot of things related to Christian ministry. And when I worked in that field, where one, you know, I was working with a Christian group, one show and then maybe another one that came out of a that worked more with secular groups perhaps they had more money and affluence they cared about some details that we weren't always caring about and and i need to i I took away from that and i still need to do this to be more detailed oriented to pursue excellence in everything i do to not say hey that's close enough that's good enough you know uh, and I guess that relates more to like uh, ministry programming, but even sermon preparation. And I'll tell you now that I'm speaking more and I'm hanging out with some people that speak nationally and, and getting to do that more. Uh, what I've learned from them, I thought it was just natural, but these people work very hard to make sure their sermons or their speeches or their seminars are excellent. In fact, they field test it because they just know they want to provide the best they can for each conference that they're hired to do. And you mentioned, too, that one of the big caveats is... Really, I guess, charisma, if you will. I mean, not charismatic necessarily in the sense that we think of churches, but that you do have to be someone who gets people's attention in some way. I mean, you could be an introvert, too, and do that. But just to go through, you say, be enthused. So let's cover some of that. You mentioned we are convinced, we are prepared, we engage others, we are positive, we stay fresh, um, developing endurance. Let me see, expressing empathy, you mentioned. Effective teaching, having an engaging style. Let's start there. Uh, gold star for you. You picked my favorite section in the book. It's the <laughs> last uh, one. And I just think, hey, let's go for it. You know, like a, a, uh, I have, again, out of the music business, I have friends that, that, that do performances and various things. And, you know, if you think of a Broadway person before the curtain goes up, you know, they're out on there all those years of practice, you know, and then they say, make it count, you know, and make every move and every song the mm. best they can. But but too often we just settle for less, you know, and we and I just said, if we if we if if we care and we're passionate about what we want, we're not extroverted, but we're enthused. You know, we have this ability to celebrate and we we need to be dynamic and positive. And the world's looking for what difference does Jesus make in your life? Well, one of it is we can just express a a joy, and it's more than personality, right? And so it's that deep conviction that you mentioned. It's that uh, that ability to engage others. And you know, here's the thing: is self awareness and and looking into our blind spots isn't just about what we lack. It's about what we have: our gifts, talents, and abilities, and and opportunities that God's given us. And so that's why I say, hey, let's develop endurance like the runner, like Paul talks about in the New Testament. Let's run this with perseverance all the way to the end uh, and not let little things distract us along the way. I agree. Hey, one of the the skills I think that's really important for ministry is, is can we empathize with others? You know, can I come alongside someone who's hurting or experiencing joy and just really uh, empathize with them in a way where they feel like, oh, that person gets me? Uh, I think that's a fundamental ministry skill. I agree with that. You know, I'm not making fun of seminary students because, you know, I was one of them, but sometimes I wondered if it was at all academic some for some and others have to learn it, but you can kind of tell the people who were the empathetic ones that you mentioned that could really feel the pain and uh, they would always say, hey brother, you know, can I pray for you? And uh, there's a real difference. You really do have to, I guess, 
separate the library from the the shepherds, if you will, and be that person. And people could tell if you're just kind of an academic person or if you're someone who has that emotional maturity that you're mentioning in the book. Yeah, and the people that I try to uh, um, tell people that what I love about the colleagues I have at Bethel College is a lot of them were in ministry before, so they didn't come in through the academic. And, I'm, and again, I'm not trying to be critical of the academic because I love the academics. You know, I got a doctorate, but uh, I just think you have to be able to connect with people. And mm-hmm. I, my col- sorry, my colleagues do that. <laughs> and um, uh, stepping out from behind the podium, the pulpit, the the position, and just be able to connect with with others is now, will, super important. Will I get in trouble if I talk about developing leaders in the church? Could there be cliques in the church that can prevent people from developing leadership? Sometimes, you know, it's like high school. The most popular kids, they are the ones that get positions of leadership. But uh what can we do in the church to prevent clicks and so that we can kind of grow people and, and find out those people? They're in the pew and they may be introverts and let's make something out of them. Oh, you are creating a mess here. Yes. Well, I think you hit on something that I talk about with my students because I, I have the ability to at least with my students coming through Bethel to say, OK, here's what I think you ought to do. So let's just leave it there and I won't talk about you know what I've seen. But um you know, for especially for youth workers, don't have the same student on stage. We're we are enamored with the same. It seems like a lot of youth ministries I go to or churches have the same handful of people on their videos on Sunday morning. Now you're talking. They have the same <laughs> three people. Yeah, they have the same three people on stage. And um, uh, you know, the latest Barna research on the state of pastors that I was fortunate enough to contribute it to, uh, you know, has some startling things about uh, how hesitant pastors are to develop leaders. It's just not something. That is, I mean, I think it's, I'm going to misquote the number, but I think it's about one in 10 or so uh, feel comfortable or that's something they really enjoy doing is developing other leaders. And so that's, that's, to me, that's definitely something we need to be able to, to amp up. And so having a farm system within your church structures to say, okay, where are the people that may grow? Who are the people that I'm not naturally attended to? So what you brought up, Michael, is, um, in my book called one of the blind spots is seeing our past. If we ran through that, if you and I went to a local high school, and we ran through it and we said, Hey, follow me. I'm a leader, right? The people following you would be the kind of people that you're, you hung out with in high school, likely. And the people following me would be the kind of people that I hung out with in high school. Likely we have this natural world. Well, our church is the whole high school, right? Hmm. So we have to figure out a way. How do I connect to everybody? And who is somebody that I'm not naturally drawn to, uh, there who's not, it's hard, really, mm-hmm. uh, because we can all get accused of favorites. But well, you really hit on something, and I have to be as a. It's something I have to work on all the time. So I just gave out scholarships today. Our whole department did, and I'm the chair of the department, and I'm the one that's up front doing all the announcing. But to to safeguard myself, I rarely uh, am involved in that process. I superintend it, but I let my faculty work through it, and uh, so that that I'm just being careful of that kind of bias, and we have a great discussion. Dr. Linhart, did you not give it to the least popular student? I mean, please. <laughs> I mean, but it's true. We, you know, we could all be kind of um, influenced that way, you know, so it's a good topic. It's good that you, you know, mention that. It is. And the book, I mean, we just mentioned it. There's a book called Introverts in the Church that really is the book everybody ought to read on this area because we are drawn to the people who can be up front and have the great personalities and most great ministry happens uh, in you know outside of the stage 
I know the author you're talking about. We're going to have him on. We actually had him with The Listening Church. He wrote that book. And he also wrote The Introverts in the Church. But So, um, now, let's get back to your book, which is The Self-Aware Leader, Discovering Your Blind Spots to Reach Your Ministry Potential. We're with Dr. Terry Linhart. And now let's talk about a subject here, sex. Okay. So, is that a blind spot for so many people that we talked about more failing? And you mentioned God's gift of sexuality is arguably the most vulnerable area of temptation. History and scripture have shown that no one is immune to the temptation and charms of lust masquerading as intimacy. Where do people go wrong in leadership there? And before you answer that, I think Billy Graham had it right with a Billy Graham rule where there was accountability. Yeah, my former governor's had a little trouble with that as vice president now, Mike Pence, um, trying to enact that. But I do think it's very helpful. I, I have a simple rule in ministry that you should be able to account for your time. All 24-7 hours, right? If someone questions where you were or who you were with, you should have an answer. And so uh, I think that's the rule that I always had. We've had uh, people live with us. Even we had teen moms, single moms live with us through the years. And I still live by that. Kelly was home uh, almost all the time. And I was never home with just them. So uh, very, uh, very careful. I, I think the, the, the deal on the sexual, it's interesting that we have so many books, okay, on this topic about Discovering Your Blind Spots, the Moral Failure of Pastors. We know the stories over the last 20 years. And yet, in the last 12 months, we still have the same issues come up, which means a couple of things. One is we're all vulnerable, we have to admit. And secondly, it starts with a turn of the head. And that's why I say pursuing inappropriate intimacy is the temptation there. And that's how I wanted to phrase it. Because when we come to a chapter on temptations, you know, the area of sexuality is the one we, we, we think about. It's the one we... Uh, um, uh, all, all think about when we think about discovering your blind spots, but it's more than that. It's a step earlier than that. That's the danger. It's the the step of you know a way where I, I, I like David and Bathsheba. You know, suddenly, hey, I noticed that and I'm drawn to that. And when you see your head, not literally, but uh, your eyes or whatever, drawing away. You know, and pornography is this too. You know, when you see it constantly moving away, you have to say. You have to recognize that, and only you can do it, right? You recognize it and say, I- I've got to work on that. I- well, let's talk to. about that, because how many leaders in ministry can say, look, I have a problem with pornography, and I can't keep my eyes off the screen. I mean, they the, think about the fear there, admitting something like that. And I've heard even seminary students, they have problems with that, you know, with all the stress of studying, and uh, it just kind of, you know, do who's saying it's okay to yeah. tell someone about it, because you could lose your job. Right. And we have to get past that. You know, I'm lucky to be at a college that understands redemptive work. And it's interesting that the Church of Jesus Christ uh, isn't always good at restoration or redemptive work, uh, but we need to be in it. We need to get into these conversations and not feel threatened. And yet, I think for a a lot of us, there are things we could do. And I I talk about them in the book. There's simple safeguards that we just can put on. We don't have to ask, you know, be accountable for your time. Uh, be conscious of when you're uh, in places you shouldn't be, like opposite gender in particular. And then find ways that you are all your social media is accountable to a spouse or a godly friend. And and then you have a filter for what you watch. Uh, I, there are certain many movies I don't watch. I, I hardly watch uh, movies at all. But when you know when I do, they're usually comedies and stuff. And then do find someone that you can talk to about this because if you don't, 
I, I mean, I, I just, just, I can't share the stories, but I just, they, they break my heart. And, you know, a couple of them in the last handful of years, I just, it, incredulous to me. And you, if we would have met five years ago in a room, all of us with some of the people that have struggled with this, you never would have guessed it. And which means that they never thought it would happen to them. And yet it did. Hmm. And at various levels, right? And and this is and then Satan wins, right? And then uh, all and for people who are pastors, the, the tragedy is, and I get some of these students at Bethel. They take my evening class in Intro to Christianity because they're adult students. And imagine you've been preaching the truth of God for 15 years, and suddenly you have this pu- very public. And it, once you see all the text messages and all the flirtation, it's gross, mm-hmm. right? And all, all the youth. All the students, all the children, all the families who were under your leadership for 15 years will be tempted to say, is it all just a lie? I mean, that's the stake wow. we're at here, right? You know, and, and it happens. So people that come to the Bethel, they're mad at the church, or either mad because of that, or finances, or they just want to be mad, you know. Uh, so uh, the best thing I do is let them talk, and I remind them, you know, you're you're looking at people. You're not looking at Jesus. Here's, here's where you need to go. Mm-hmm. So, well, you see it all the way through Scripture, I mean, with uh, King David and others, uh, sexual temptation. But if you had to do an anatomy of leadership, what are some of the people in Scripture that come to mind? Obviously, Jesus, you know, he epitomizes all of the positive things of, of what we aspire to with leadership. Are there any others? And also, in the same realm of that question, what are some of the worst cases of leadership that you find in the Scriptures? <laughs> Uh, King Saul would be the worst, uh, probably. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Gene Edwards' book, A Tale of Three Kings, where he compares uh, Saul, David, and Absalom. My favorite leader is Barnabas. I just think every time the New Testament church was stuck, they would send Barnabas. He mm. was, he's, I mean, he was such a person. That was his nickname, Barnabas. He was such an encourager. Uh, and, you know, when the Gentiles were coming to Christ, when Saul was ministering, you know, they sent Barnabas because he was of a stature greater than Paul, right? I love Andrew uh, as a leader, connecting people. I have, I think if networking was a gift of spirituality, I would have the spiritual gift of networking. He just, you know, Andrew is always connecting people to Jesus. In the Old Testament, I love uh, Elijah because of his up and down moodiness mirrors my musician's temperament. <laughs> and so, you know, here he has Mount Carmel, this great experience, uh, probably the one of the greatest ministerial victories in all of scripture and then mere days later Jezebel says I'm going to kill you and he's in the cave going I'm the only one it's terrible you know and I like Joseph as a leader too uh, simply because he had an opportunity and I think sometimes uh, that's what faces us it's not that we have this grand call we, it's not that we have amazing gifts but we just have opportunity and we need to step forward and in the back of your book it says the key to reaching your ministry potential and then, of course, you have to read a little bit about it. But I want to ask you that question, the key to reaching your ministry potential. If you had to say in a nutshell, and in all of your book in just a, you know, a nutshell, what would you tell our audience? The key to reaching your ministry potential is following and getting as close to Jesus Christ as possible and letting him lead you forward. I am more and more convinced that God is more intimately involved in our everyday life than we are aware or give him credit. And... Um, that's it and then 
don't compare yourself to other people in the process. Yeah, Dr. Terry Linhart, he's been our special guest, the author of The Self-Aware Leader, Discovering Your Blind Spots to Reach Your Ministry Potential. And as you say, serving in Christian ministry, it's one of the toughest calls there is, but it can also be one of the most fulfilling and rewarding, especially if you have taken the time to examine both your gifts and your vulnerabilities. So go out and get The Self-Aware Leader. It'll help you do just that. We really appreciate your wisdom here in helping with their blind spots. Now, if you could only help me with my driving, just kidding. Thanks so much for being on the program. Well, thank you, Michael. It's been a treat.